Amen. I'd say we're off to a pretty good start today, yeah? All right, if you have your Bible, you need to open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Last week, we got back into our normal rhythm in our study of 1 Peter with this imperative sandwich, which calls us to obedience in the area of our love for one another. The commandment in the text last week was this, fervently love one another from the heart. We talked about how we can do this and how we must do this because we are new creations by God's grace through his word. We have been saved unto sincere love of the brethren. We have been born again through the living and enduring word of God, the good news that was preached to us. Therefore, we can and we must love one another. For application last week, I asked you a couple of questions, a couple of questions that we need to wrestle with consistently. Number one, have you been saved? Have you been converted? Have you been made new, born again? This is how we can love one another. Second question is, are you connected with a local church? Are you connected with this local church or some other local church? Because this is where we love one another. This is the best place to be obedient to the command to love one another within a local church. Have you been saved? Are you part of a local church? I really hope so. And then I challenged you in two areas of obedience. Number one, I said, love the brothers. This is how all men will know that we are disciples of Christ, by the way that we love one another. And I told you, study the word, because that is where we learn what love looks like. God's love for us and our love for one another, that's where we learn what it looks like in the word of God. Well, this week we're moving on to chapter two, and that's a big deal. We started this study back on January 2nd. Our study of 1 Peter started on January the 2nd, so we are obviously moving really slow. We've got our noses pretty close to the book. And in some ways, we are seeing 1 Peter play out before us in slow motion. But we need to remember that all of this is connected. I challenged you in the earliest days of our study to be reading one chapter of 1 Peter each day, in addition to your normal Bible reading. That'll help you keep the big picture in mind. It'll help you see that Peter really continues to develop all of these thoughts throughout the letter. So if you haven't been doing that, if you haven't been reading one chapter of 1 Peter a day, in addition to whatever else you're doing, start this week. Start this week, it'll be really helpful as we move into chapter two. It's not too late to start that. I wanna tell you that I really like the text this week. I think it's super helpful for us. It's really practical. And it also affirms some things that we hold dear here at First Baptist Church Harrisburg. We're gonna see a little about loving one another like we saw last week. And we're gonna see a little about the centrality of and the importance of the word of God in our lives as believers. So look at it with me in First Peter chapter two. Verses one through three, that's what we're gonna look at today. God's word says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us like this today. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate these baptisms. You have begun a good work in all of those kids and we trust that you will see it through to completion. We pray that you'll use us in the process of growing them in grace and knowledge, growing them in godliness and obedience. Father, as we strive to love one another well, help us strip away all the things that drive us apart, all those internal attitudes that lead to external actions that breed only trouble and strife and pain. Teach us this day to lay all of that aside. And as we strive to love you, we pray that you would give us a hunger, a desire, a longing 
a craving for your word, that by it we may grow in our knowledge about you, in our love for you, in our obedience to you, and in our worship of you. We have tasted your goodness, and we want so much more. We pray for those with us today who have not tasted your goodness in the gospel. We pray that today you would give them a taste and that their lives would never be the same as a result. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So what we have in the text today is similar to what we've become used to at this point in 1 Peter. There is one imperative. There is one command in the text today, but there's a lot of surrounding and supporting statements. The imperative, the command to obey this week is this. Long for the pure milk of the word. That's the imperative. Long for the pure milk of the word. So as we talk about all of this surrounding and supporting stuff, don't lose sight of that. That this text is commanding us to long for the pure milk of the word. Notice in verse 1, the very first word is therefore. Therefore. This word is always important when we come across it in scripture. And when we see it, we need to ask, what's it there for? This shows us that today's text is connected to. It's really flowing out of what came before it, specifically the things we talked about last week. Conversion, conversion that happens by obedience to the truth, that is faith in Jesus and repentance from sins as obedience to the command of the gospel. Remember, we talked about the gospel is not just an invitation to uh, be accepted, it's a command to be obeyed. We also talked last week about the love of the brothers that is sincere and fervent and comes from a pure heart. We also talked about how the word of God is good news preached to us, and it is the seed by which we have been born again. So what we're looking at today flows out of that. Therefore, he says, therefore, putting aside all malice, this is verse one, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, New American Standard that I read from every week does a great job of translating this participle, putting aside. Other translations make it sound more like an imperative, like a standalone command. ESV says, so put away. NIV says, therefore, rid yourselves. And while I disagree with their decision to translate it that way, I like their idea. I like why they translated it that way, because we need to do these things. We need to do these things. We need to put away all that mess. We need to rid ourselves of it. We need to lay it aside. And so if you need to hear it today as an imperative, that, that's fine. Just don't lose sight of the main imperative here. That is long for the pure milk of the word. In fact, our setting aside of these things, as the text says here, serves our longing for the pure milk of the word. As we lay aside malice and envy and strife and all of those things, it will serve our longing for the pure milk of the word. Those things not only get in the way of brotherly love, they get in the way of our desire for the word of God. This language of setting aside, as New American Standard says, is really an image. It's a graphic word. It's the picture of taking off old, nasty, worn out, dirty clothes and throwing them away. Lay it aside. Take it off. Take off the old and put on the new. This language is often used in reference to our new life as Christians. In fact, I was reading that often in, in ancient rites of baptism, believers' baptism, they would literally do this. They would, they would strip off the old clothes of their old life, get baptized, and then get a whole new set of clothes to identify their new life in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, 
you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We could look at a longer text in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, that gives more details about what that old self looks like. That old self that is full of malice and envy and hate. And the new self and what it looks like with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. You will see that Paul says, lay all that stuff aside and put all this stuff on because you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. I encourage you to look at Colossians chapter 3 on your own time this afternoon. But what does Peter say here? What does Peter say in this text are the old clothes that we are to take off? Well, first, he gives a list of those things. First is malice. And one scholar defines malice as a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds. And this word is probably the most general of the list that we look at today. All the rest of the words fall under it. It's that internal motivation or the desire to do harm. And we hear this language today in courtroom dramas in the phrase malice aforethought, which is used to describe a criminal act that was deliberately planned to cause harm to someone. And when it's like that, the consequences are much, much more severe. He talks about malice, this desire to harm. He talks about deceit, that is a desire to gain some advantage or preserve some position by deceiving others. This word uh, in, in the original language carries a picture of bait on a fish hook. Like it, it, it gives that feeling of bait on a fish hook that is desired to lure someone in only to take them captive. Put that off. He talks about hypocrisy, defined as a desire not to be known for what really is. And you may remember last week we talked about sincere love. And I said that word sincere can be translated as without hypocrisy. Our love is without hypocrisy. So here he's saying, put off the hypocrisy. Get rid of it. Take it off. Envy can be defined as a desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another or a resentment that another has it and you don't. We know about envy, right? And slander, the desire for revenge or self-enhancement, often driven by the deeper desire to deflect attention from our own failings. The worse light we can put on another by slander, the less our own darkness shows. Man, that hits close to home, right? And we see all of this, don't we? We see all of this in our own lives, and we're called to strip it away. We see all of this in the world around us, right? We can't turn on social media without seeing this on display in its fullness. So why must we put all of this aside as believers in Jesus? Because it is the opposite of the posture that we were called to last week, a posture of fervent love, sincere love, love from a pure heart that we have been saved unto and commanded to pursue in the text we saw last week. Putting all of that aside is what repentance looks like. Putting all of those old ways aside is what repentance looks like, and it's part of what love looks like within the body. Karen Job says the vices that are listed in this verse must be put off. They are those that destroy relationships and hence that destroy community. We want to put away everything that would destroy community around here, right? Within the body of First Baptist, put away anything that would destroy community. Tom Schreiner says, the sins listed tear at the social fabric of the church, ripping away the threads of love that keep us together. So in our pursuit of obedience to last week's imperative, namely love one another, and in our pursuit of this week's imperative, namely long for the pure milk of the word, we got to be setting aside those old clothes. we got to set aside those old clothes. They don't fit us anymore. They don't fit this new life that we've been given. 
So lay them aside and put them away. And then in verse 2, he says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Now, on your first reading of this, you may be tempted to read newborn babies and milk as somewhat critical statements toward these believers. Because we're familiar with texts that, it, that use these images to encourage growth and maturity. Moving from milk to meat, right? Hebrews chapter 5 may have come to mind when you read that. Where the author of Hebrews says, concerning him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, because who's, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the author of Hebrews uses that language to say, you got to grow. You can't just live on milk. You're not infants anymore. You need to move on to meat. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uses the same imagery. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants, babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. So he uses, he uses milk and babies almost in a, in, in a critical sense to call those believers to maturity. But I want you to know this text in 1 Peter is not like that. That's not what's going on here in 1 Peter. He's not using milk and infant in some negative way. Remember, the imperative, the command to follow is long for the pure milk of the word. And Peter illustrates that kind of longing, the kind of longing he's talking about by referring to the desire a newborn baby has for milk. Let's think about that for a second. How does a newborn baby long for milk? Well, a newborn baby needs milk to survive, right? Newborn baby can't go without milk if it's going to survive. And a newborn baby craves milk with passion, right? It's not like a simple desire, a secondary thing in their life. No, newborn babies crave milk with passion, right? They will look for it if they don't have it. Newborn babies demand milk in a constant supply, right? In a steady supply. They're not content with milk here and there. They need milk all the time. Amen? Amen. One scholar described desiring of the mother's milk in a baby as instinctively, eagerly, and incessantly. Instinctively, eagerly, and incessantly babies desire their mother's milk. And friends, in this way, we must long for the pure milk of the word. We need it. We should crave it. And we should demand it. Instinctively, eagerly, and incessantly. Now, you're, some of you are a little bit lost because your translations don't say milk. Don't say pure milk of the word. They say long for the pure spiritual milk. There's not a big difference in those translations, that word that's translated either as spiritual or of the word can really go either way. And either way you go, you end up with craving the word as the imperative, as the command to obey. For it is in God's word, it is through God's word that we have tasted of God's goodness. It is through God's word that we have been born again. It is through God's word that we have been saved. And so we are commanded here to crave God's word like a newborn baby craves milk. And notice in the text that this craving must be for the pure milk of the word. The pure milk of the word. 
That's a word we also saw last week about our hearts, that we love one another from a pure heart. I told you last week that that word means unmixed. We are to crave the unmixed word of God. We don't, we don't long for some watered down version of the word of God, although that's available in a lot of places from a lot of sources. We don't long for chocolate or strawberry flavored word of God, right? Have something added to it so that it suits our palate more. That's available in a lot of places as well. We certainly don't long for spoiled or poison milk that would kill us. That is also available from a lot of sources today. We don't long for some weak substitution like almond milk. It's good for nothing. <laughs> we are called in this text to long for the pure milk of the word. And friends, my deepest desire is your pastor. My deepest desire as your pastor is to be a good milkman. I want to deliver to you pure, fresh, life-sustaining word of God week in and week out here at First Baptist Church. This is why we focus so much on exposition. This is why when I stand up before you every week, I say, open your Bible. And we spend the time that we have together with our noses in the book, trying to understand and obey the word of God, trying to see God clearly in his word and respond in worship to see ourselves clearly in his word and respond in obedience is because we are to long for the pure milk of the word of God. We are trying to develop this appetite in you by giving you a steady diet of pure milk of the word so that if someone comes along and tries to feed you junk, somebody comes along trying to feed you some watered down fruity flavored yoo-hoo, you know the difference and you reject it because you long for the pure milk of the word of God. We strive, we work hard to give that to you. But friends, you must crave more than we could possibly give to you. You must crave more than we could possibly deliver to you. How ridiculous would it be if you fed your newborn baby only once a week? How concerned would you be if your newborn baby was only hungry once a week? I'm telling you, no matter how good that milk is, if you only get it once a week, you will starve. We must crave, long for, desire the pure milk of the word of God like a baby longs for its mother's milk. Edmund Clowney said it like this, Christians must be addicted to the Bible. We must be addicted to the Bible. If we don't have it for just a little bit of time, we start jonesing for it, right? We don't have it for a little bit of time. We start desiring it. We start craving it. That's the way we should be with the word of God. And friends, this is an addiction that you can chase and you can satisfy anytime you want. Drink up. Drink up of the word of God because it will only lead to good things. If you satisfy your longing for the word of God, it will only lead to good things. And I'm telling you, you can't have too much of it. You cannot have too much of it. In fact, it will only lead to good things is the next point that Peter makes. He says... Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, we did a whole study on the word that starts this phrase, so that. It's a Greek word, hina, and it teaches us the purpose of something. What is the purpose of our longing for the word of God? It is so that by it, namely by the word of God, that we may grow in respect to salvation. It was that word of God that was that was preached to you. 
that you heard. It was the word of God that caused you to be born again. It was the word that you obeyed in faith at conversion. And it is the word. It is the word by which you are going to continue to grow in this new life. How are you going to grow as a Christian? You will not apart from the word of God, I promise you. It is the milk that you need to survive and to grow. How do you learn about the Lord? How do you learn about the Lord, who he is and how he works and what is his heart and what is his character and what has he done? How do you learn about the Lord in his word? How do you learn about yourself and how you should live in the word? But, but wait a minute, preacher. Isn't, isn't just going outside and observing nature enough for me to learn about God? Only if you are well informed by the word of God. Otherwise, if you just go out and observe, you will be tempted to worship the creation rather than the creator. Like if, if you go outside with eyes that are influenced and informed by the word of God, you'll be able to look at these incredible things and say, well, look at what the Lord has done. But if you don't have the lens of scripture and you go out and look at the world, you will be prone to say, look at what mother nature has done. Look at this grand cosmos. Isn't this beautiful? And you will worship the creation rather than the creator. And if you read Romans 1, you know you don't want to do that. As we drink the milk of God's word, we grow in maturity. We grow in Christ-likeness. We grow in every good way. And listen, in this text, growth is the goal. New birth was on the table last week. How do we, how do we come to life? It's by the word of God that's preached to us, by the gospel that we obey in faith. How do we come to life in Christ? Through the word of God. How do we live in Christ? Through the word of God. This is what this text is teaching us. How do we go on living in Christ? New birth was on the table last week. New life is on the table this week. John Piper was talking about this and he said, the Christian life is not to be thought of as mechanical or automatic. It's not as if you are just reborn again and then zip on through to the fullness of salvation. It's not the way God designed it. God designed to bring you to life and then grow you by his grace and grow you in his word and conform you to the image of Christ in a process we call sanctification, step by step on this trajectory of Christ-likeness all throughout your life, which is informed by the word of God. He says this growth, the Christian life, is an organic and dynamic process. You are born, you eat, you grow, and then you arrive at the culmination of salvation. And finally, he says, don't ever think that eating and drinking and growing are optional or marginal. They are essential. So brothers and sisters, long for the pure milk of the word of God so that you can grow, so that you will grow, because growth is not optional. In fact, if you've got a newborn baby that's not growing and very many days go by, the doctors get very concerned. Growth is not optional even for human beings, even for our physical bodies. It is certainly not optional for our spiritual souls. So crave the milk of God's word so that you may grow. Look at the next phrase in verse 3. He says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is the last thought we're going to deal with today. Seems to be flowing right out of Psalm 34, which we read earlier in the service. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How are you going to know the goodness of the Lord? You taste the goodness of the Lord in his word, in the pure milk of his word. We taste his goodness. We read that text at the beginning of the service, and some scholars speculate 
that Peter was meditating on Psalm 34 as he wrote this letter. And so, like if you're going to read chapter 1 on Monday, 2 on Tuesday, and on and on like this, let me add to that and say on Saturday, read Psalm 34. Read Psalm 34 and see if all of the themes that are in 1 Peter are not also found in Psalm 34 in poetic way. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It was influencing his life. A number of the themes from that psalm are in this letter. Now, I've told you before in verse 3 that if in the biblical text often carries the weight of since in passages like this, namely affirming the position of the readers. But what I'm learning as I preach is that it's better to leave it as if for a while. Like even if it's the case that, that Peter is intending to affirm the reality of these believers, it is wise for me to let the if hang in the air for a little bit in this room. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, you have tasted it in his word, which is the seed by which you are born again, which is the food by which you grow in salvation, which is to be the longing of your life. So my question for you is, have you tasted of his goodness? Have you tasted of his goodness? And if you have, then drink it up. Drink it up and grow up and praise the Lord for his kindness towards you. Kindness that you have tasted for yourself. And don't just drink it up and don't just grow up. Tell the world about it. Like we do this, right? When was the last time you tasted something good? Like at a meal. You tasted something good and didn't want to tell somebody about it. Like you had the most amazing steak or the most, how many of you have tasted the new, uh, what's it called, Starlight Coke? There's a new flavor of Coca-Cola. It's supposed to taste like sitting around a campfire. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And everybody I know that has tasted it is talking about it. Whether it really does or doesn't. Whether it tastes like marshmallows or cream cheese or whatever. I don't know. If you taste something that is good, you're going to want to tell people about it. And if you have tasted of the kindness of God, you want everybody else to taste it as well. You're going to invite everybody around you like, I found, I found the greatest blizzard on the planet. And I want you to experience it as well because I love you. Have you tasted of the kindness of God? If you have, drink it up, grow up, praise the Lord, and tell everybody about it. And if you have not, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good today. His forgiveness is sweet. His holiness is precious. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good today. His reconciliation, his grace, his kindness, his power, his favor, nothing tastes better than the goodness of God. And I invite you to taste it today. So for application, first question is, have you tasted the kindness of God? Have you tasted the goodness that he would take a sinner who deserves only his holy wrath because of their sin, you tasted that rather than punish them for all of eternity, he would forgive them and adopt them into his family as a beloved child. And he would do this by sending his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in the place of sinners. Friends, nothing is sweeter than that. Have you tasted the kindness of God, the goodness of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have not, I invite you today to repent of your sins and trust in Christ now. Now. 
taste and see that the Lord is good. Application number two, take off those old clothes. Those old clothes of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, those marked the old man. If you are a new man, by God's grace, take those old clothes off and throw them away. Burn them if necessary. They don't fit you anymore. And they don't make for love for one another. Lay aside those old clothes and put on the new clothes that he has provided you by his grace. Third application is a question that I want us to wrestle with for a minute. Especially those of you, those of us, who don't long for the pure milk of the word of God like we want to. We wish we longed for it more. How do we develop a longing for God's word if it's lacking? Like if you find yourself not addicted to the word of God, you you find yourself not craving it. As the command is in the text, you find yourself falling short of that. How do we develop a longing for the word of God? Well, number one, we pray. We pray. Is it odd to you in this text that God would command us to have a craving, that God would command us to have a desire for something? After all, if we don't don't have a desire, how do we develop a desire? John Piper was talking about this, and he said, hmm, can you imagine such a thing, commanding a lame man to walk? Who would do that except the one who can make him walk? Wouldn't it be a strange thing to go up to a tomb and say to a man who had been, who'd been dead in it for four days, Lazarus, come forth, unless you can make him live? The God who has commanded you to crave his pure word will give you the craving. He will provide for you the craving. If God commands it, he will empower obedience to it. And so the first step, if you're lacking that desire, is to ask God to give it to you, to ask for his help, to simply pray, Lord, give me a greater longing for your word. I don't think that falls on deaf ears because he's commanded you to have a longing. And if you ask him to give what he has commanded, he will provide it. Step number one is pray. Step number two, taste it. Taste it. Develop a taste by drinking the word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Study it. Hear it preached. Drink, drink, drink. And you'll get addicted You will never get addicted if you never drink. You want to be addicted to the word of God? You got to drink it. Drink it deeply. Number one, pray. Number two, taste it. Number three, share it. Talk about it. Like I said earlier, if something tastes good, you're going to tell somebody. So tell somebody. And do what Pastor Dylan does on the regular. He will ask somebody, hey, have you tasted anything good lately? Not, Not like, well, I guess you do that. Been to Dairy Queen, tasted anything good lately? But he is regularly asking people, what is God teaching you in his word? He asks that question of people all the time. What's God teaching you in his word right now? What have you tasted that was good lately? Why does he ask that question? To stump you? To convict you? That happens if you haven't tasted anything lately. He's asking that question because he wants to know for himself what tastes good. He wants to taste what you have tasted. If you have seen something amazing in God's word, he wants to see that. One of the ways that helps us develop this addiction is by talking about it with other people. Pray about it, taste it, share it. And friends, if you're going to develop this, you're going to have to fight because the enemy does not want you to drink the pure milk of God's word because he does not want you to grow. And he will whisper all kinds of excuses 
into your ear. He will tell you, you can't know the word of God. It's super complicated. You, you can't know the word of God. It's so complex and difficult to understand. The truth is you can understand it. The truth is you can and you do. Don't let him win that fight. He will whisper, you're too busy to drink from God's word. You have too much else going on. But friends, you've got time. And if you need proof of that, look at your usage on your cell phone. Check your screen time. That just happens to pop up. The, the, the news about my screen time for a week pops up at Sunday morning, 9 a.m. I, I don't know if it's that way for everybody or it's just preachers. I don't know if Steve Jobs is trying to get us or what. But every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., it will say, Chris, your screen time was up by 7%. Hours and hours of screen time. You've got time. Don't let the enemy tell you you don't. You've got time for the things that you love. He will tell you, you can do without it. You can do without the word of God. You don't really need it. But friends, you do need it. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And friends, when we have a, love for something, we will develop a deep knowledge of it. The things that you have a deep knowledge of, professionally, personally, your interests, your hobbies, your passions, you've spent time developing your understanding. You've spent time studying. You've spent time drinking, growing. When you tasted it, you tasted good and you wanted more. The last, last, last application is a question. Are you growing? I remember when, when our kids were little and they're not so little anymore, we take him to the doctor, and he would put a little dot on a chart, right? This, this curved chart. He would say, oh, this is where your kid is in height and weight. And if there was a problem on this end, we had to take some action. If there was a problem on this end, we had to take some action because there was a, an expectation that children would grow at a certain rate. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, there is an expectation that we will grow as believers. Like, I, I just want to say, if, if, you're, if you're a believer... You've been a believer for 20 years and you've not grown? It's a massive red flag. It's not God's design for you. He designed that we would grow in salvation and that we would grow by the word. And these kids that we just baptized, we have a huge responsibility. We have a huge responsibility to them that we will show them the word of God, that we will pour the word of God into their mouths that they may drink and taste that the Lord is good and grow in salvation. This is not done. I don't think that we dunked those four kids and we're done. No, no, no. It's just started. It's just started. The path of discipleship has just started with them, and our responsibility has only begun as we invest in them and teach them the word of God. Crave it. Crave it like a baby craves milk. It's what we're called to. Let's stand together and pray. Oh, Father, give us this longing like a baby longs for its mother's milk, give us a longing for the word of God that by it we may grow in salvation. God, we recognize in this room there, there, there are people here who have never even tasted of your goodness. They've never even had the tiniest little taste of forgiveness and grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Oh God, give them the taste today. The taste that will start a whole new life in them. 
Teach men, men and women and boys and girls about your holiness and about their sinfulness. Teach them about Christ's sacrifice on their behalf. And we pray by your grace that you will give them faith. Faith to believe in Jesus. Give them repentance to turn away from their sin. And save them for your own glory. For their good, for sure, but for your glory in eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.